Hey everyone, welcome back to the Beauty School Bobby podcast. I am here today with Kia Neal, somebody that I got to meet in Chicago that I just feel like was meant to be from the second that we met. Um, I'm so excited to talk to her. When we met, it was, like I said, just instant connection. Um, immediately knew that I wanted to talk more and I wanted to share everything that she's doing with all of my listeners. So I'm so excited to have you here today. I wanted this to be in person because I'm obsessed with you and I want to like tackle hug you through the computer right now (laughs) but at least we get to be here on zoom so Kia how are you I'm good I am so excited first of all let me just tell you you are a dream right (laughs) and the same was for me when I met you I was like I've got to know her her you know it's just you're you're a magnet of positive energy and I just cannot uh imagine not having met you for this moment so hello everyone uh I am so excited my name is Kia Neal and I am um, ready because you've already told me you've got some questions and I am ready to share with your audience exactly who I am and what we do. And so let's let's get going. I'm excited to jump in. So I know that you are an educator, but you're also, mm-hmm. um, and this is in your um, Instagram bio, which I thought was really interesting. Obviously, we'll tag plug all the things here in a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, but you, um, you are an industry advocate. Um, yep. And so you are someone that is doing something very different in the industry. And I think what's really cool is we meet a lot of stylists, we meet a lot of salon owners, we meet a lot of beauty professionals. Um, Industry advocate um, is something that I think is just a little different and it's really, really special. So I'm happy that not only did I get to meet you in a way of, um, you know, obviously being at ABS, I got to see you win an award, I got to see you present, like all of the things. But I think what's really cool is you were there um, as an advocate for the industry. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about what you're doing in that way, because like I said, it is different um, than I think what most people see from the beauty industry. Um, so I want to talk to you about that. So as an industry advocate, what what does that mean to you? What are you doing every day? You've got a couple of um, programs I know that we're going to talk about from the color culture, texture versus race, but tell me kind of what it is that you're doing right now in this moment. So let me just give a little bit of background. And I, and I probably should have said this in the, in the beginning, but I'm the founder of the color culture, which is an educational company circumventing around color. It really focuses on color education and it's brand agnostic. Texture versus race is a movement, but by being a movement, it underscores the fact that hair is a fabric and not a race. And that we believe that the beauty industry along with the church has been the most uh, segregated institutions left to be overtly segregated, right? They, they're the only institutions left. So one of the things that we do is we share knowledge with people about how to be very diverse, how to work on all textures of hair. But we also advocate for education, for conversation around the social issues that allowed us to be segregated from the beginning. So we create safe spaces. And when I say advocate, meaning that I tackle the the issues that we have in the industry and I bring it to the people or the powers that be that have the ability to make change. So there are some voices and some uh, people that are feeling things and going through things and, and really just the truths in our industry that are not being spoken about. And so my my job is to speak loudly and speak truth to power. 
And, and that's what we do, whether it's from the educational part, whether it's speaking to the schools, whether it's speaking to the exam boards, um, really calling attention to that, the representation, brands, marketing, repos, like we tackle all the different pain points. But we also create create safe spaces for people to have the conversation to come to resolve. Yeah, I think it's really special because what you you obviously have an amazing team behind you, and you have a lot of people in this with you. But whether you want to admit it or not, um, because I know that you are very humble, this is something that you're carrying and that you've carried for a long time. Um, I was asking you um, when we met just kind of about your career path because you look 12 years old. So I'm like, surely she's new in the industry. Come on now. You see what I'm saying? That's why I love you. You make me feel good. Come on with it. Well, I was shocked to know how long you'd been in the beauty industry and doing this. And one of the things that I just flat out asked you is I said, you know, you could take a step back right now, have an amazing career being behind the chair or even just, or even educating, right? Like you could just be a teacher um, and, you know, kind of be in the background, be behind the scenes you've chosen or, you know, I don't know if it's maybe a feeling of this is a gift that you've been given, this voice that you have, you're choosing to take something on that isn't always 100% well received. And you're doing this at a time, like I said, that you could choose to step back, take a break, take a vacation, hang out, take it easy. And you're not doing that. What is the purpose behind this? How do you have that drive to at this point in your career say, you know what, I'm not ready to stop, I'm going to lead a movement? To be honest with you, it wasn't something that I chose. It chose me. And it just won't let me go. I'm going to just be really honest about that. I could have rolled my career out. Like you said, I could have, you know, transitioned from the from behind the chair. Um, but education has always been really close to my heart. I've known that my abilities and my, my gifts do not circumvent around the fact that I'm just a great hairstylist. I do do great hair, but I had to learn how to be a great hairstylist. That wasn't really my entry into the industry. I mean, I know people think like, oh, no, really? No, really. There was no one foreseen me going into the beauty industry coming up as a child. So, But what they did know is I had, I had a healthy curiosity. Mm-hmm. And that I love to ask questions and I love being a teacher. I love facilitating conversations. I loved, um, I actually went to college for, for journalism. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I went to journalism for marketing and advertisement as well. So hair wasn't really my thing. This movement has attached itself to me because of my journey through the industry and having such a multifaceted perspective of, of everywhere in the industry. I can speak to you from a stylist to a salon owner, to a platform artist, to a commission worker, to, you know, I mean, there's so many ways, right? Independent. I can speak from so many ways. And I've seen so many things, to be honest with you. And I think that's why I've been chosen for this task at this time. And this is the shift. This is my next moment and periods in life is to use what innately lives in me to serve a a industry that I love so much. And I don't, I don't know exactly what lies ahead, but I know in this moment, I I couldn't let it go. And it wasn't something that I said, oh, I'm just going to start a move and let's just put it on paper. I, like everybody else, just had something to say. I had an opinion. I had an emotion. I had a response. And, and from there, it just, it just grew. I, I would love to say that I just one day sat down with a pen and paper and said, 
here it is. But that's not really how it happened. So I believe that God has just simply placed me here at this point in time. This is my journey. This will undoubtedly be a part of my big story. And um, I'm looking forward to see what's coming next, actually. I think we're all so lucky to be here in this moment and to have somebody like you to be the voice. I think that one of the things that we talked about too was the way that um, Texture has been, it became a big conversation um, in 2020 um, over COVID, all the things, right? Like this all became very highlighted. This wasn't very highlighted and new to you. This was something that has been a part of your story and not just you, a lot of people um, yes. that this had been a part of the story. and I think that at this point we're in this we've got to come together this all has to meet in the middle and it's great that there's attention on this and there's great that there's a place for a voice but you have to keep that going so that it doesn't disappear this can't just be a trend that just is like oh this was a hot topic now it's going to go away and I think that the way that you've created these programs um, and these platforms for people is really special um, and so I want to ask you kind of what is what's next how do you keep this going how do we keep the conversation front of mind, not just as like a hot topic issue? I love that question too. And let me say, uh, texture had been such a huge thing with the, with the texture and the natural hair movement that started years ago, probably 15 or more years ago, right? Where the black community itself was evolving in mind in emotion, in space. We were creating a newness about ourselves and really pushing back on European standards and saying, hey, how do we fight back? How do we own our own space as a human? And so the idea that it's just become a thing, it's just become aware. Well, the awareness is upon people who have never thought about it before, that never had a clue what black people were going through in and around their hair and in the, the subject of texture. So texture versus race came even even for me, even for me. I'm going to tell you, it started for me late. I was not a texture stylist. And I have to give that background because mm -hmm. this is why it's so important to keep it at, front, at top of mind is because for me as a stylist that was inundated with straightening the hair, relaxing the hair, smoothing European standards, um, having to comfort and save women who were being viciously attacked through their hair my entire career. That was my career. So when I started working at a multicultural salon and I was uh, being able to do more than just one texture and I, my mind started to expand, I didn't really, I, I, I understood at that point. I didn't know for sure, right? Like how different the communities were in the industry. But I also knew then during that time that there was a whole other, there were two different cultures, two different industries going. There was a black community and then there was a white community. And I got to see both. And I was like, oh, my God, I was floored. So in my quest for color education and being able to uh, become board certified with the American Board of Certified Hair Colors, I don't know if anybody knows them. They are. Uh, they were an all white organization, but they were considered sort of a staple. Like it was a, it was one of those things that if you got their certification, you did something. So I got their certification and they were the ones that kind of really brought it to the table for me and said, we want you to do black hair color on black people and teach white people how to do black hair. And I was like, 
Now, y'all supposed to be the top 1%. Mm-hmm. You trying to tell me. And I think at that point, I just kind of had that, hmm. Yeah, enough is enough for me. And I really, really had to ask the question. And along the journey, here's what happened. People started to open their minds and go, yeah, why is that, though? Yeah, how does that happen? And not just Black people, everybody. We've created allyships. We created the idea back in 2018 that you had to stand for something. And so to bring this question to an, to a close, how we keep it at top of mind is keeping them accountable. Because in 20, when George Floyd was murdered, everyone in the racial uprising responded. They reacted. They didn't respond. They reacted. And they put black blocks up. And they stood in solidarity with the social injustices. And they said, we're going to be committed to doing X, Y, Z. And they created these lists and they, they checked off boxes and tried to meet number quotas. But now we're at a point where it's not popular. People are so inundated with blackness that they're tired, to be honest with you. They're tired. And they don't want to hear anything else about diversity, equity, and inclusion, to be honest. And that's what we're seeing. The fire is going out. But you know what? You know who has the ability to keep that fire lit? Me, you, and every other voice that continues to have the conversation, that continues to ask them, what are you doing? That continues to hold them accountable, continue to say, hey, can you open your books? Let's see what you're doing. Show me where you're making progress. Show me where you're making improvement. Let's use our economic power to, to tell the story, to really push the envelope. Because if I stop purchasing with you, not just me, but every other black person that I know and every other white person who holds this issue close to their heart, if every ally and every person that's pushing for DEI or to see inclusion and, and diversity in every aspect, and they start saying, we're not buying from you, and you start seeing your bottom line shift, I bet you we'll start to see more of an internal shift and core core changes in these companies. That's why we have to keep talking about it. We can't let it go. We can't let it slide. We have to hold people accountable. And there's going to be, you know, we, we've done a good job of not calling out every single company. That's not what I do per se, right? Like I don't go, oh, well, did you see so-and-so? And trust me, I get that in my back office a lot. People send me stuff specifically about companies. I'm not, that's not me. What I want to do is get to them and say, hey, y'all have a problem. You have a fire in the back. What you going to do? But at some point and very soon, we're going to start taking notes and it's going to be public notes. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start sharing exactly who's doing what for the good. Well, we're doing that already. If you see them on my mm -hmm. platform, you see me working with them heavily, that means they're doing work. If you don't, they probably not. Not with me anyway. Not with me. Mm -hmm. So I, I literally only partner with people that are working and doing something, doing, working hard. And um, But eventually we have to start calling people out and saying, this is what's going on. They need to make changes and make them accountable. So I hope yeah. I answered the question. I know I kind of went around the mulberry bush on that, but I, I definitely feel like this is a great opportunity to really flush all of this out. Yeah, I agree. It's not always an easy conversation to have. I think on the school perspective, which a lot of um, our listeners are beauty school students or stylists that are recently in the industry, right? So I think that um, 
there's a moment in time, and I think that for you, it was going into the salon and really realizing like, wait a minute, like, what am I doing? What am I contributing? Am I a part of the problem or am I going to be a part of the solution? And I think that is a very... That's mm -hmm. an, I think that's an okay place to be in, right? Like, I don't, I think that a lot of people, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm living in Tennessee and, um, a lot of the students that we have are very sheltered, haven't come out of their bubble yet, right? Yeah. I think all of us have that moment where we're like, wait a minute, maybe the world isn't what my parents have always told me that it is, right? So I think that there is a point where you kind of, your eyes are open to it, okay? And then I think there's also a moment of like, okay, so now I'm starting to see the reality of the world. Now, what are we going to do about it? And I think it's so important. And this is why I feel like the industry needs you so, so greatly is because, when you go to that, when you're at that crossroads of I'm seeing it now, what are we going to do? You have a choice to listen to people and maybe the people that are the loudest are not always who we need to be listening to. Can so you say that one more time? <laughs> sometimes the people that are the loudest are not who we need to be listening to. And so I think it's really important um, to get your message out for who you are as a person. Like I just think um, you're so genuine and you're so real and that you are open to these tough conversations. Now, what prepared you for that, I think, is life experience. And I think it's just there are people that are able to um, get the message out in a way for lots of different minds to understand it at different levels. Um, so I think that's really important. If there is somebody listening that's waking up, let's say, to all of this, um, where do you start? Where do you recommend for people to say like, hey, I'm realizing that I need to change, that what I'm doing in my salon maybe isn't for everybody and how do I start? I've been, or even if it's somebody that's been doing this, like imagine salon owners that have operated in a way for 10 plus years, 20 years, and now are saying, wait, how do I open my doors? I know that's a loaded question and there's like a million answers right. to this for sure. What do you recommend? It's not a loaded question. It starts with one singular space, you. It starts with this one person, one, it, me, look at me. One person made one decision and that decision begat another decision, begat another decision, begat another decision. This is not about changing. This is about choosing. It's about every moment that you have an opportunity, you choose differently. And if you know every choice you make, one will predicate what's happening with the other. There's, there's, there's this, this journey that you have to go on, but it starts with the person. Because this heart is there for a reason. It starts with a person, an individual. It starts with their mind. Okay, now you realize the world is bigger than just what you've seen and what you uh, what you grew up around, the atmosphere, you know, your own little ecosystem in the corner of the world. That's not entirely true. That's not the the that's not the biggest of it all, right? That's not all of it. Now your heart is your heart needs to be churned and changed. There's rocky ground that's living there that needs to be uh, broken up so that you can see and create a level of conviction and commitment. Because your mind can't, your mind won't do any more than what it's than what it's being pushed by your heart, right? Your heart can override your mind sometimes. That's why we do stupid things sometimes. Even, you know, sometimes we're like, but I want to. You know, your mind's going, no, girl, that's not the right thing. But sometimes your mind wants to do something and your heart pulls back and says, but I have a moral compass. 
And that's what you have to restart. You have to restart and, and find it. And that's that's with doing personal work. That's with understanding the history of our country, the history of our industry. It's about opening your eyes to the realities of what's happening right now. Not even just before, but the things that you scroll past really quick have the ability to shut down or that just doesn't show up on your algorithm because you don't engage with it. That's how you take the blinders off. That's how you take the scales out of your eyes, the wax out of your ears. You get involved and look at it and see it and absorb it and sit in it and understand it and research it and say, why is this happening? And when you become convicted enough, you will yourself say, I can't be here. I can't allow that. What can I do? And then you'll start seeing your own space and you'll go, how did this happen? This isn't right. And then you start making, again, more choices, not just changes, choices. I have a choice as to how my, my salon operates, my core value, whether I get more education, who am I getting this education from? How am I speaking? Do I allow people to speak in my, how I allow them to speak in my salon? What am I showing up? Like those things become obvious to you, the more they become obvious to you, the more aware you are. The, you're not, you're not aware if you're not aware of what's happening outside of you. There's the, the awareness is not there. So I tell everybody, start doing the personal work. What does that mean? Getting an anti-racism work, getting to it, reading books, finding mentors, finding black voices to listen to and getting them in your algorithm, getting other resources, aligning yourself with other black people that can speak truth to you. Maybe not directly to you, but social media, you know, Google is a wonderful thing. Siri will help you out if you can't find it. Um, <laughs> and I, I feel like there's a lot of spaces to get education, to get resources. But again, attaching yourself to people that are moving the needle and say, what can I do? How do I offer my resources? How do I spend my privilege? First of all, acknowledge that you have a privilege. And then how do I spend my privilege? How do I use my resources? How do I use my platform? How do I use my voice? How do I use my space? How do I show up better in the industry? How do I hire? How do I change how I hire? Taking accountability for your space taking accountability for the space that you hold in the industry, whether it was pushing us forward or keeping us back, acknowledging that and then choosing differently. I think that's so, so important. And I think that I hope that there are people listening that can take that advice and say, you know what, I, I needed to know where to start and, and now have, have some tips. Are you um, able to kind of share your story of being in a salon and what that looked like for you in the time that you started? Um, Cause I know that that pushed you into this um, position that you're in. And like you said, your eyes were opened a little bit when you were in a salon. Are you um, willing to kind of share that story? I am. I am. I don't talk a lot about it. People hear it in bits and pieces, but I'm willing to really go there today because I think it's important to, to understand that that particular journey. And I was just sharing with my husband yesterday that 
You know, there are points in your life where you know things have significantly changed. Did you know that in this moment, your life has changed forever? And me working in this multicultural salon was that moment for me. One, I didn't realize what it meant to be a, a complete minority. Like, I've always been a, a minority, but to be in a minority in a closed space was a whole other thing. Like, the salon was all white, and then there was me. And I didn't... I. My salon was very black. Like, you know, I was black. The stylist was black. The clients was black. We did black services, you know, things that I did some, you know, I did some multicultural hair. If I could catch them at the door before they ran out, you know, quickly when they realized they were in an all black salon, I would get them like I've always had a multi-handed hand, but I didn't have the clientele that reflected it, not solidly. So working at this salon, I have never in my life felt so black and so unprotected, and so unsafe. Even the people that hired me, that gave me a space, were still the most violent people there. The people that worked next to me, the microaggressions, the wanting me to answer for all things black. The clients were ridiculous. Like they questioned my skills. They constantly let me know that I was not the norm and that they knew that I was brand new and everything was, well, things are changing. I mean, I've never seen that. This is not the salon that I've grown to know. Are you sure you can do my hair? Oh my gosh. Why do you do your client's hair like that? That You look like Aunt Jemima. I had a, a stylist tell me that because I was wrapping my hair up one and she says, you look like Aunt Jemima. Like the attacks that I had to endure were on... I had to question myself every day, like, why are you going? Why are you putting yourself through this? But I understood quite early that, and I know this is going to sound really strange, but I, I knew early that I needed to see so that I could empower Black people. So it started like, let me tell you what's going on back here, and then I'll take the information over there. Because here's what I did learn. There was a lot of education that I had never heard of opportunities, amenities that black people were so unaware of. And I was like, did you know that when you went to XYZ store, that if you bought from that storehouse, that you could get education to come? Did you know that companies would send people to your salon and do in-salon education? Did you know you could accumulate free back bar by XYZ? Did you know that like there was so many things that I had never experienced before? I was like wait a minute, this is completely, so I felt compelled to stay. I didn't know I was building a story, right? I didn't know I was building a story, but I knew um, that I was kind of absorbing everything that I could so that I could go empower a community that I knew was being um, marginalized. I knew that there were a lot of deficiencies, uh, redlining. Even the way we did business, buying product was completely different. I was like, the first time the sales rep came, I was like, okay, he didn't bring his truck today. And then the you know, second, third time I was like, where are these products? You know, y'all sold us on these products. Now I want to buy them. I want them now. And he was like, oh, no, no, no. I just sell it to you. You know, we ship it to you. And I was like, well, why are you here? If I could have ordered it online, why are you? He... I literally had never seen that before. I've never ordered product. Products always came to me door to door where they came and they sold me products and then they brought it right in from outside. I'd never had anybody say you had to 
go through a sales rep to order and then it still had to be del delivered to you days later. I just didn't see, I didn't see that. I didn't see where companies were buying products back so that they could put their products on your shelves or color. You know how many times we switch colors because somebody else had a better deal and the, the, the color company would come and say, we'll buy all this off of you just to be able to put our stuff back up. I had never, ever, ever, I promise you black people didn't know that and had never done that. Never, ever had been given an opportunity. Never. And so I stayed through all of that. Now I know why I stayed. I needed to understand it all. I needed to gain the, the knowledge. I needed to elevate myself. I needed to know how to do all fabrics of hair. I needed to know how to teach all fabrics of hair. I, I needed to know what the uh, oppressions and the aggressions were like so I could speak to it. Now, I didn't know that back then initially. And then, and, the, and to be honest, once Texture versus Race started, I stayed longer than I needed to, but I stayed because I felt like at this point I couldn't have paid for that kind of content. And you used it, which I think is so amazing. Like you made it a part of your know. story. I think sometimes like people want to give up and when they're in situations, they're like, I'm out, I'm done. Look what happened. And then you go right back in. It's crazy um, that you had that knowledge to stay. I mean, that is something that you just don't hear, Kia. Like it's just, if people want to like give up when it gets hard and like, I'm totally guilty of that when things get like, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to be, I'm out. Like I'll dip so fast, like I'm out. And I think that like for you to have that courage to stay, but just knowing that it was part of your story, like you said, you were telling your husband that like there's those moments, those life shifts, those changes um, and taking those as a part of our story, not like the end of the road or such a negative thing. Like you could look back and say, that was a horrible experience. I can't believe oh. I went through that. Look what they did to me. But you choose not to. It's no. And let me also say this. I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to say now I can't sell them under the river like I got a, a whipping every day I went into the salon, okay? It, I can't say that. I'm not going to say that. I learned a lot. Now, let me say, I also took what I wanted. They gave me certain things, right? They taught me things, but what they, what I learned the most were things that I took. It was the things that they didn't know that was happening that I took as a learning curve for me as well. But I will say... I learned a lot. I developed some wonderful relationships in that time. I have clients that are every hue in the rainbow that I am still very aligned and close with, that I keep up with all their things, that they keep up with me. They, they're allies. They are proud of me. I have met some amazing people along that journey. I can't say like I just went there and just threw myself on the on the chopping block. I'm not going to tell you it wasn't everything that I'm saying, but I'm saying that it wasn't like... Every day of like seething violence. It's, that's what microaggressions are. They're not seething. It's just, it's just every day, every other, you know, someone's saying something out of turn. It's, it's the, it's the etiquette of the salon. It's the, you know, the talking over people. It's, you know, coming to their station, just, you know, touching people's hair because you're now enamored with something you've never seen. It's, it's all of those things that we went through that I, that was a learning curve for me, but I did develop some great relationships, especially with clients. There were a few stylists that I talked to. There's a few styles that I'll never talk to again in this life, but they, it's all one big story, right? Because mm -hmm. they also 
um, did their part in my journey. They were who they were supposed to be. And I wouldn't have it any other way because I learned and I grew. So it's a such thing as bloom where you're planted. I think that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause like I said, I know that it's not something that you talk about a lot, um, mm-hmm. but I did want to share that for people that are, like I said, young stylists, new in the industry. The Beauty School Bobby podcast is brought to you by Tennessee School of Beauty, the leader in cosmetology education since 1930. As one of the first nationally accredited cosmetology schools in the nation, TSB has been recognized by Modern Salon as one of the top 10 beauty schools in America and voted the top cosmetology school in East Tennessee for 28 consecutive years. Offering programs in cosmetology, aesthetics, medical aesthetics, and makeup through MUD as MUD's first standalone satellite location in the United States. So come see me to start your career in the beauty industry at Tennessee School of Beauty today. Um, I want to ask you, and I don't know if this is like a because I know that you are on this like journey and like it's a winding road and there's no like, and you know, there's not a pin in this of like an end. What is your ultimate hope for when you decide to retire, step out of the industry, um, when you're able to take that vacation, and enjoy mm-hmm. and step out? What is it that you hope to see? Are you hoping for um, this to not have to be a conversation? Are you hoping for it to be a a way that the salon looks different? What is What does it look like for you? Absolutely. I want to not have a job. I, wanna, I want the industry to evolve me out of a job. I want to not have to talk about diversity. I want to not have to look for representation. I want to not have to speak on what inclusiveness is. I want to walk into a room and go, no need for me to say anything. It's, it's our, it's, I want it to not be a thing anymore. I want it to not be a thing. Now, I, I'm, I can't say even at that point, I believe the industry, I'll probably just find another way to, to do something else and still be a part because I love it. But if they could work me out of this job, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I didn't have to speak on this and speak on these issues, I would be just fine with that because there's so many other things that I want to do in the industry on the way out that I, I could I could stand to not have to do this. I'll just say that. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of the things that you are doing, you are going to be in Baltimore, Maryland, hosting a town hall. So talk to me about what that town hall looks like and why, why you're doing this. Who's invited? How do we get connected to that? Tell me all the things about the town hall. Absolutely. So town hall is, is a part, it, it stemmed from a moment at all about texture versus race summits, right? And and there's always this conversation like we're having right now. Where do I start? What do I do? Here's the resources. I don't understand this. I don't understand micro. I don't understand what, you know, representation looks like. Should I do it this way, that way? Like there's a lot of conversations that need to be had for understanding and people are not having them. We're having them in too many different ways. It's like popcorn. It's like, well, I heard somebody said this. I heard somebody said we shouldn't say the word kinky. And then somebody else said, well, kinky's fine, but don't say coarse. And someone said, don't. It's a space where we can come together and have a conversation about specific topics for to be resolutionary. Um, it's not a space to argue the point. It's a space to hear different perspectives about any one or two or three subject matters. And it's coming up with ideas that we can 
choose to see and infect change in something. So town hall is all conversation, right? We're not doing here. And I want people to know that we're not doing here. We will have swag now, but we're not doing hair because, uh, like I said, at the at the TVR summits, we always carve out this space to have the conversation. We create safe pockets so that people can really talk about the social aspect, the emotional aspect, and and, and it gives people a, a space to be uh, very vulnerable and transparent about where they are and who they are in the industry or what they understand or don't understand about certain nuances about diversity, equity, inclusion, and just the industry as a whole. So we created a weekend to be able to do that, to bring everybody from every corner of the industry. It doesn't matter what you do in the industry, you're invited. If you have a voice, you're invited. If you have a thought, you're invited. If you're just curious and want to sit back, you're invited. This is for everybody to come together that really want to see us choose differently because we have choices. This is the most pliable this industry has ever been. And we have a choice as to how we want to see it going forward. But it takes the community of people to come together to create standards so that we can create an elevation of the standard for the industry as a whole and for us as individuals. So there'll be two days. One is more focused on the individual, the salons, the actionable steps, things that they can do, right? All the resources, all the things. And then one is us collectively for the industry, talking about the policies, talking about the systems that are in place, the systematic approaches that we have to certain things. If we can see that and we can say, well, how do I change that? What has to happen? Can I get understanding about why it is a certain way? And then what can we do to, to change and evolve into a more inclusive space? Um, we had several examples. I've been live on my page for the past week or so, like clockwork, just going live and having excellent conversations about how we buy products, the product distribution houses. We've been talking about um, how people see those products. We've been talking about, um, well, I've been talking about like in the back of like different little like microaggressions, like repost apps. We did a we did conversations with a big repost app talking about why you don't see much diversity on their pages. But to be able to have a very truthful conversation and say, OK, but you got a choice here. That's what this is about. Safe spaces, authentic, true, transparent conversation with, with like-minded, um, resolution-orientated people. I think it's going to be an amazing event, and I think it's going to be awesome. Are you moderating, speaking, like how is, what's the um, structure going to be? What's the format going to be? I know um, kind of topics, but what's it going to look like going to this event? So those are just a couple of topics that we had. They're not the end all be all. We have several topics that we're looking to um, really punch out through panels We'll have guest panelists. We're going to have guest speakers that are excellent in their topic. Um, I am going to be facilitating. Of course, there has to be, you know, order in any way, but there'll be open mics because we want people to be able to voice their opinions and voice what they're saying and then other people to be able to respond. So it's not just I have the mic and it's here's the scroll of to do, you know, do's and don'ts. No, it's all of us coming together. What do we think about this? Can we offer this understanding? So between panels, speakers, 
uh, open mic and breakout groups activities. We want to break people up. want to say this is a subject matter or this is what we're talking about. Let's talk about it. Let's get to a point. Bring it back to the collective group. And then there are also activities that will be going on to help us um, evolve as individuals and as a group. Yeah, I think that's exciting. I cannot wait to see. Is there a way that this is going to be like put out after if you aren't able to physically be in Baltimore? Is the plan to do this, like start here, maybe grow this into a bigger conversation, um, you know, that is more interactive through um, across the country, across the world? Yeah, yeah, we absolutely do. But one of the things that I know, and, and we've, we've been going back and forth and my team is like, we got to make, you know, let's do it virtual. Let's get some virtual, um, you know, people in the space. And I'm okay with that. The problem with virtual is you can't control the energy virtually. See, when you come into a space, your intentions have to be pure and aligned, not in agreement with everything, but your intention has to be agreeable. Meaning, even if I come and I say, I know I, I, I feel contention with this, 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 and this, but if your intention is to just share your, your perspective and also here, welcome. I don't need yes men. That's not what this is about. But when you have people virtually, you can't control who's there for the right reason, who is there to take things and make it negative, who's there to, you know, uh, and I know I can't be as concerned with that, right? I, I know it and I'm, I'm don't worry, I'm, I'm logistically trying to work this out in real time. To be honest with you, I know someone's cutting grass, right? So now my, my people come out to cut the grass, right? Thanks. <laughs> It was my dog, uh, my beautiful dog baby scratching at the door. I don't know if y'all heard that. I was like, told, looked like I was distracted, but I was trying to text my husband, like, come get her. Daddy's got the grass, but let me. Sorry, y'all. This is, but it's still good information. Yeah, we are good. Fine. But I think, um, like I said, we're building an airplane while it's in the air. I don't have it all down pat. I don't know exactly um, what's the best. And if we do it virtually, if we don't, if we just keep doing it live and just let people come, if we let it go later, like we're still working that part out. And I, I wish I could have a definitive answer. We may have a few people coming virtually, right? But not just open because the point is, is to get the energy in the room and to be able to read the energy and read people's body language and, and pour into that. It's funny that you have that because I was I was actually, I mean, as I was thinking like, okay, what are you opening yourself up to by doing that? Unfortunately, it's something that like, that obviously we all know, you know, TikTok, the internet, I mean, it can be a dark place, right? Like it can be a very negative. How many times have we heard people taking social media breaks and like, there is a reason for that. Um, I think people like you and me are so connected when we're in person um, that you get that energy, you feel that energy and all that stuff. I'm not a person that, um, although we do this online and, and all that right. stuff, I'm not somebody that wants to live in that world. I can't. Like, I have to be in front of people. I have to be with people. And I need to do that. I think that's an interesting point is that there is a there is a cap to how much we can, we can, unfortunately, but it is just the truth. It is just reality, how much we can open it to that virtual world. Because like you said, it's so easy for someone to sit there and just be negative and to be whatever and to not have good intentions coming into something like that. Um, 
it's gonna it's interesting to see how how a movement like this is affected by that as well um and just kind of navigating that you know is it something that people are able to just watch but maybe aren't able to contribute but then at that point, like, I don't know, I think, I think the in person is right. And I think that that is, it's going to be so exciting to see how, how this all goes. And unfortunately, like we're so, like you said, we're so figuring out that part too. Is it always easy to have the conversations online? No, but is that how you're going to reach the most amount of people? Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's an up in the air thing. A double-edged sword. And mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I do what I have the capacity to do. I do mm -hmm. what I can, what I can do while I can, when I can, and I forget the rest. Yeah. That's it. And so that's how I maintain my own safe space. My, that's how I self-care is not being pushed and provoked to do something that I'm not, uh, that I don't have the capacity or bandwidth to um, handle. Mm -hmm. And I say that because we've had people come in with ill intentions and then they go back and then they blow it up and make it like it was so negative because their feelings were hurt and they didn't like this and we didn't make them feel like that. And then they cry and they use their white tears to distort a movement. How dare you? Mm -hmm. I got a problem with that. So it makes me go, okay, but when you're in the building, right, and I can see you for who you are, then I handle you accordingly. Mm -hmm. Whether that's to invite you to leave or just say, I don't think this is a space for you. How about this is it? Like, you're not welcome here. Mm -hmm. Or I absolutely understand you. Let's have a deeper conversation. Because here's the thing. People will be more, more um, transparent when they feel safe. And by safe, I don't necessarily mean comfortable. I just mean safe. Like, there's no harm that's going to come to you. And sometimes right. you can't control that on the internet. Because people are very shifty. Mm -hmm. Very it's a dark space, like you said. And what I don't want is people clipping and copying and posting and changing things and editing them and spinning narratives that's, that are not there. Because this is such a, this is such a, I don't want to use the word touchy, but it's, a, it's an emotional space that we're operating in. And so the people who pay money, whether it's small money or whatever, they pay money to come. Almost all, not all, because some people will pay to come cause and wreak havoc. You know what I mean? Some people will pay to be a disruption. They'll pay for their seat to do that. Mm -hmm. But most people that come, even if they're still unsure, they come in and we have the ability to say, it's all right. You're safe here. Your feelings are valid. Let's talk about it. That's a different reach to be able to touch people or for them to be able to feel your energy. That's a different level of exchange. And that's why I was okay with the movement moving slow if it could be impactful. Almost everybody who's ever come in contact with us is still very tight with us versus blasting it out and hoping that it lands on a few people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't really know how to explain it any better except People keep telling me how big the movement is, but I still see it like this. I still see it like my little baby. And then I'll get people that's like, no, no, no. There are people that are really watching that are, you know, learning. And I saw this, da, da, da. And I'm like, that's so awesome. But it's not my intention. It was not my intention. Now, would I love to see the movement moving faster, you know, broader and affecting more people? Yeah, but it's just going to take all of us to be feet on the ground to do it, though. 
Mm-hmm. I don't believe right now that, I don't know. I'm not going to say that because I don't know what God has for me. Let me just mm-hmm. say that. I don't know what God has for me. Because if Oprah Winfrey calls me tomorrow and say, we're going to put it on, we're going to be out there, then it's, it's out there. So I'm not going to say that. I'm just saying Kia is doing it the way Kia can do it and can handle it. But if God says that it's going to be different, then it's going to be different. Yeah. What an important message, though, to let it be slow sometimes. And sometimes that's how the greatest change is going to happen is in a slow movement. Like, I think so many people just want to run as fast as they can and get as much change as many people and as many followers and all this stuff. But, like, I really love that you've been okay with it. It's not not a success because it went slowly. It might be. Yeah. So I love that. I think that that's a really important message just for everyone to hear, too, is that these small people pieces, these small one step at a time doesn't mean it's not working, you know, because I think that's something that we've all been programmed to feel also is it's it's not enough if it's not so successful overnight. If we're not the blow up viral. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And that's just genuinely not the case. So I'm so happy that you said that because I think that that is just something to make everyone, everyone should feel better hearing that, that even these small steps, these small changes, these little things, you know, that were, that you can do matter. And it makes a difference. I think it's easy for people to be like, oh, I'm just one person here in my little town. And it doesn't, it does, it matters. And I think that that's that's the message for sure. You know, I haven't shared this like publicly on like my social media, but there's a texture versus race educators edition that's coming down the pipe where we're just going to get all schools, just the teachers and the directors to come to this TVR so that we can teach them how to work the curriculum they already have by implementing texture from the beginning. Texture is not an elective. It's not, it's, it's not an option. It should be standard. But the curriculum is only going to be taught as much as the facilitator can understand it. Mm-hmm. So we want to empower the facilitator, the teacher, to understand how does texture play a part in every, on every page and how to change their perspective and language in delivering this particular content. There's a huge responsibility in schools, and I am so happy to hear that you are working on this, that this is happening. Like, I think that that is one of the most important places that we can start. Um, I saw a huge shift. I was telling you this at ABS, but when we um, put textured mannequins in the kit and we have the classes. So I remember when I started, um, and this, you know, is the story for a lot of people, but when I started working at the beauty school, I remember texture coming in in the junior and senior classes, right? So they're in their advanced hours. Now they get it like week four and they're excited, Kia. Like they are so excited because what used to happen, and I don't know that this, I mean, you know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but what used to happen is then they would get clients on the floor, right? Like they would start getting their clients in they're scared to take clients anyways. Like it is one of that first client you get in beauty school is the scariest, right? And now like, (laughs) 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 and so I think that 
them being confident. It just, it, this all works together. Like it's, it's, um, it, we, sh it, everybody should know how to work with, um, with textured hair, right? Like we all know that, but for the confidence of the stylist to be able to do their best work, any of our students, any of the students at the school to be able to do any service, that's the goal. Like that's education. That's what we're there for. Like no matter what race you are, no matter whatever, like I remember in school or when I first started working there, I had like walked up to the front desk and um, there was a black client that came in and was like, I only want a black student working yeah. on me, right? And understandably so, you want to know. But now that's that's gone away. And I think it's so awesome to see, like I said, these girls that have had no interaction, no experience even with other races in their life, Kia. Like not at all. But you know where they do have it is in their chair. <laughs> You know, and like, that is just the best. I mean, it's the best feeling and it's so exciting to see. And I think there's a lot of work that schools can be doing, but again, they need leadership like you to make sure that we're all doing it right. You know, like that it gets rolled out in the right way and that we know how to answer questions. Like it's, I'm so excited for this. And I just think it's the most important thing um, that I can give to my students and my instructors. Like, I think that that's, I'm over the moon about it. I love it. I, I love it. I love when the powers that be can see past it and not, like you said, the issue's always that bottleneck at the desk because it's like the clients say it, they, the school wants to make money, the students are, I mean, that the school wants to make money and the students are afraid. And all of those, all of those, those emotions and intentions lead up to creating a segregated industry. And as we begin to thwart that out and the student gets exposure to texture before the client shows up, when the teacher is educated enough to know how to include texture in every chapter, every niche in the understanding, and the owner understands that there's value in making sure that your students have a full-bodied you know, experience in the program, and they are willing to forego $3 in exchange for the right thing to happen, the right experience to take place for the students. This is when we start to see the advancement. It really is. But everybody's going to have to choose and choose differently. So I'm excited to see it all happening I'm excited to be a part of it. There are so many people that that have come before me that have been screaming these same messages. Uh, there are people that work parallel with me or even coming up uh, before, even uh, uh, like recently, but before me like that have had voice or have been trying to have voice um, in their areas that I always have to acknowledge. But I, but I will say I acknowledge my part also because I normally go no 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 I acknowledge my part because we're working hard we're working mm -hmm. hard back here like we really are yeah. and so it is very satisfying to hear people say I you know I, I saw some change or I was able to do something to affect change and thank you for empowering me or giving me the courage or giving me the information or pointing me in the right direction even um that's that's very satisfying it, it really is we've got some work to do but I do think that, you know, we're working. So when people think of this movement and they look at my page and they go, well, why should I listen to someone who only has 
15,000 followers, where someone else has a million followers. Just think about this. The biggest messages are usually deep, not wide. Our message is deep. The people that have aligned themselves, they are aligned. You can get a million followers and still only get 0.0002% of people that's aligned with you. Mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. I don't want to be wide. I don't want to be too big that I can't hold it. Mm -hmm. I want to be deep. Yeah. Well, I'm so thankful that um, we got this time together. I'm so thankful that I got to meet you. And I just can't wait for more of this and more time with you because I do think there's more for us. And I'm just thankful to have you in my life and thankful that you're in this industry and doing all the work you're doing. So I know um, your personal page is at Kia Artistically on Instagram. We can follow at The Color Culture um, and at Textureverse Race on Instagram as well. So we will stay tuned for um, updates from the town hall. I cannot wait to hear how it goes. I'm so, so, so excited for you and just excited for everything that you have going on right now. Thank you so much for having me. This has been yes. amazing, a great conversation. So thank you so much. Yeah, so we will see you soon and take care, Kia. Love you. Love you too, babe. <laughs>